Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 410 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our show today is Interceptors, and our guest is Matthew Thomas. Matthew is the author of Interceptors, The Untold Fight Against the Mexican Cartel, a powerful book detailing some of the operations he led against the infamous Sonola Cartel in U.S. soil. Matt has been employed with the Pima Pinnell County Sheriff's mm -hmm. Department for over 30 years and currently holds the position of Chief Deputy Sheriff Mark Lamb's Executive Officer, serving as second in command for the agency. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Absolutely. So Mark Lamb has been a friend of the show. Uh, just just a fr I think he's a friend to everybody. I That's know. what I was just going to say. Isn't Mark Lamb like a friend of everybody? <laughs> Who, who that doesn't follow the Constitution isn't a friend of everybody, That's true. except <laughs> the criminals, right? That, right? that is so true. You know, the funny um, thing is, though, this is totally off topic, but Mark Lamb's story, even the criminals love him. He'll show up on scenes and they'll they'll be like, oh, my God, it's Sheriff Lamb. And so, yeah, everybody loves him. Yeah, I guess if I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to I want it to be Sheriff here. Sheriff Lamb. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. And this book. Um, I think you said that didn't Mark Lamb kind of encourage you to to go ahead and get pen to paper? To yes, he did. I, it had been uh, it had been an idea for a while, and we had discussed it back and forth. And uh, it was at his urging uh, behind the scenes that I actually started putting pen to paper and getting going. Well, I I applaud the work. Um, there is so much in here, and I guess where I want to start is. Why is it an important book? Because, you know, we, if we're the authors, we can think our work is important, but somebody like Sheriff Lamb, who encouraged you said, listen, your knowledge, your experiences need to live on and have a wide audience. Why was it important to write? Uh, the, the importance for me was really, it's a, it's a couple things. Uh, one of the things was I was very proud of the men and women that I worked with doing these operations and the work that we did. And I knew that it was important work at the time and that we were a very, very small percentage of law enforcement that was doing this type of work. Um, so if you take all the law enforcement in the U.S., less than 1% were doing this kind of work. And so uh, that was important to me, um, just kind of documenting, because I knew looking back, that this was a key piece of history in in America, and uh, it influenced politics. It influenced elections. Uh, it had a lot of influence. Everything going around, uh, going on around it, and uh, 
at the time, this because the book focuses a lot on the 2009-10-11 era of the uh, the heavy cartel smuggling here in Arizona. And during that time frame, uh, there was a lot of national focus on what we were doing down here. So the historical piece to document the hard work that the men and women were doing and to just tell the stories that really people don't know go on. I'm telling yeah, we... you, and if all we have is the news, which I always put in air quotes, right? <laughs> then we're we're not going to have the same impact of capturing our history, influencing politics, influencing elections on facts and truth. And yeah, I'm but I was I was off. I listened to the news, and we don't have any kind of uh, cartel problems in the United no. States, <laughs> right? I mean, never even heard the word. Yeah, it depends on which news cycle you're watching. <laughs> yeah, that's the the bad thing. So no yeah. doubt. So what's the most important thing that that we the general public aren't hearing and need to know? Man, there's so many things. Right? <laughs> I think uh like as it relates to this and as it relates to some of the the stuff in the book, um what the American public fails to recognize or realize is how dangerous these Mexican cartels are and what a heavy influence they have on our country, um, have had on our country and continue to have in a negative manner. Um, they are, they're called transnational criminal organizations. So they used to be called drug trafficking organizations, meaning they were just organizations that pushed drugs from Mexico into the U.S., they are now called transnational criminal organizations because they are essentially a large crime organization that is doing robberies, human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, oil theft, gold theft, counterfeiting. They are into everything. And so um, they're running their crime network and it is worldwide. They're connected heavily to China with the chemicals that they are bringing in for the fentanyl and the synthetic drugs. Um, they're connected to every underworld around the world. Um, the Mexican cartels are somehow connected to, and they're right in our backyard and they are pushing that stuff right into our country. Um, and the other thing that is a key factor for, for just the Mexican cartels is in our area of the country, like where I'm sitting right now, used to be Mexico before there was a large land purchase by the U.S., right? And so you have a lot of familial ties on both sides of the border. And that plays into it because they automatically have ties into these communities through their family. And so they're able to operate sometimes with impunity uh, because of those familial bonds and able to transport their poison, transport humans, uh, money back to Mexico, because one of the things that people don't realize as well is illegals in the U.S., there's this thing called remittances that is essentially money going from the U.S. back into Mexico. So you have people from Mexico here making money, and then they'll send that money back home. And that is one of the top incomes of the of Mexico as a government. So the Mexico, Mexico, the country, relies on U.S. dollars flowing back into its country as one of its top forms of uh, income. And so there's so many factors in this that make them a very dangerous organization. This is so wild to me because I'm I'm envisioning, I always try to kind of tie things to, to something that's familiar or, or something historical that I've heard before or we've experienced before. 
And I'm like, so during prohibition, right? We tried mm -hmm. to say, well, um, you know, booze is bad. It's illegal. And what did that do? It gave birth to, you know, organized crime in ways that we've never seen before that time. Right. And here we've had this war on drugs for decades. And it's, I feel like it's almost worked the actual opposite way in, in a similar prohibition way to help the wrong elements. Am I seeing it wrong? What no, no, you're right. Anytime something is prohibited, outlawed, whatever, it creates a huge black market for that product. I mean, you look at, you can look at guns, you can look at alcohol back in the day, drugs. Um, and then with the Mexican cartel specifically, uh, we, we had the problem of the U.S. thinking that legalized drugs was the answer. And so they, they legalized marijuana and that created a whole new set of problems because then we had it legalized in the U.S., cut into the profit levels of the Mexicans in, in the cartels. And so they had to shift their business model and their shift was essentially going to synthetics. So they got away from the marijuana and moved towards uh, manufacturing more synthetic drugs, i.e. methamphetamine, uh, fentanyl. And that if you look now, that is what the main push is, are those synthetic drugs. And so it has just created bigger problems. And the Mexicans being in power was another example of what you're talking to. Our U.S. government uh, take out Pablo Escobar, take out some of the Colombian cartels, and that shifted the Mexicans into position to take that power in that vacuum. And they essentially took over that drug trade from the Colombians and became the powerhouse cartels. So who are we mad at? Are we mad at the people that have a product to sell? Or are we mad at the people who are buying it? Because if we weren't buying it, nobody would be selling it. Right. I mean, I'm just kind of looking at, you know, as or a business person, you go further law than that. supply and demand. You and... got to go further than that. Are we mad at law enforcement? Are we mad at the, the politicians that are letting these people go so they can go back and do it again? Got to be super frustration for you guys. I don't know, Matthew. Who are we mad at? Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, we we have to look at our own government a lot of times and and ask like, what are you thinking? Because they they know the issues, they know the problems, um, and decisions are made that they know are going to compound the problem. Uh, but it all plays into world economics. It all plays into you know where we sit in the world, who we're allies with, who we're not. We can I I think we can never be mad at the end user. The end user is the end user. Addictions are always there. Addictions are tough things to deal with. Um, and and uh, so I, I can't say that we can be mad at U.S. users. Uh, we have to we have to just come together as a country. And if you think about it, as I was growing up, it was when there was a big shift in, in uh, drunk driving, right? How that was viewed, uh, how that was treated. It was a cultural shift. It wasn't, you're not going to arrest your way out of the problem, right? And so you had this big cultural shift in the U.S. where essentially adults down to children stood up and said, it's not cool. It's not cool for you to drink and drive and kill somebody. And so that became one of those things that wasn't socially acceptable. We have to do the same thing with this stuff. That's the only way that you really get ahead of this is you make it socially unacceptable to do this kind of stuff, to use these kind of drugs. 
and then, of course, we combat them on the, the legal side of it. We combat those that are pushing the drugs. Um, but it's a multi-pronged approach. We can't just do any one thing to and try and solve this problem. Right. So you've been in law enforcement for 30 years in Pinell County, right? Yes, sir. Do you have a solution? <laughs> if I had a solution, I'd I mean, be a billionaire. <laughs> well, do you, do you think that there's something that could be done that, that would help this that's not being done? Are you frustrated with what you're allowed to do and what you can't do? Yeah, I, I think for, for law enforcement specifically, our frustrations are the justice system um, and, and how it's treated. And again, socially, um, because a lot of the problems we have in law enforcement right now has to do with just society, how they are behaving, what they are uh, promoting or allowing as acceptable behavior. Um, it, it all boils down to that. And, and, it, and it boils down to every neighborhood, every home in those neighborhoods and how, how they educate their young, how they act amongst themselves and how they act towards each other. Um, and us as a society being so polarized, right? And, and uh, so I think it starts in every neighborhood in America with us, A, being willing to just be good humans to each other, have good discussions. We all want the same thing, right? We all want to be safe in, in our areas. We want to be able to do what we want to do without infringing on others. Uh, we just want to be our ourselves. And if we all agree to that, you don't have to be like me and I don't have to be like you, but we can get along. That's where it's all going to start. And then the cops play a key role in that because we're just the peacekeepers. We shouldn't be the ones that come in to solve problems of your neighborhood. We should just be the peacekeepers. What has to happen is people need to communicate. They need to resolve problems themselves. And that is essentially community policing, the community coming together to keep their neighborhood safe, to to keep the structure to keep the the thought process and how the teens and the the kids are raised all of that has to be in place to to fix this really that is so good i mean if people realize that your neighbors you know solve the problems yourself it makes so much sense to me and then that if if there's a problem that you call the police in uh, it it would be a better outlook for everybody so yeah. i i appreciate how you said that so what do we have? Do we have a border issue? Do we have a drug issue? Do we have a crime issue? Or are they all yes. the same issue? The answer is yes. yes. <laughs> we have all those issues. Um, the So the problem is they all get mixed together, right, into one, one pot. And uh, a lot of times that gets called immigration. We have an immigration issue. And then when you dive into that with somebody, they're like, well, yeah, there's drugs coming across and there's illegal aliens coming across and there's all these crimes associated with that. Well, that's not an illegal immigration problem. That is, uh, you know, all the problems you described there. We have crimes being committed. Um, we have people trying to get away from a country into another country. There's a process for that. So our border issue slash immigration issue is one piece, and we definitely need reform there. We need more judges to process. We need more facilities to hold uh, because we are a country of immigrants. So we can never say that we're not going to accept people in our country. That won't work. Right. We just have to have better processes to do that and be able to do it in a more timely manner um, so that people aren't trying to get here illegally. At the same time, we have to strengthen our borders because 
whether you like it or not, we have to have barriers that we as law enforcement and the Border Patrol can work with uh, because a lot of the people that are coming into our country illegally do not want to come here for good. And so we have to make sure that we keep bad actors out and we have to make sure that we have the ability to protect our borders. And then, you know, as we talk about the crime and stuff like that, same thing. We as law enforcement have to be able to go after those criminals and go after them aggressively. Like people who, uh, a guy who rapes a woman does not deserve to be treated with kitted gloves. We have to go after them aggressively yeah. and lock him up. Um, and so we need the support in law enforcement to do that kind of stuff. And then the drugs, uh, same thing. We go after them aggressively. We put the bad guys away who are pushing that stuff. But we also, at the same time, like I said, with addictions, we have to reach out and we have to have better programs for those that are addicted and get them out of that and make it socially unacceptable to even use drugs or talk about using drugs, you know? And I think it, that piece of it got um, exponentially worse through all the lockdowns of 2020, you know, people got lonely, they got, you know, they lost jobs, they lost relationships and marriages. And remember, they lost family members, they lost family members. Right. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's not going to be a quick fix, because we actually have people who are addicted now that probably never would have even gone in that direction if their life hadn't have been so deeply interrupted. Yep. No, absolutely. And I, I, you know, we all felt the effects of 2020. I, I watched my elementary age son. I watched his education degrade to oh. where mom and dad are, are trying to teach him stuff that I, I'm not an expert in. There's no reason for me. I'm not a teacher. So, <laughs> I, you know, and while I can teach, I'm yeah. not a teacher of elementary school kids because I don't know their curriculum. None of that stuff. Right. So I watched that happen with my child which of course sets them back. I think he set back a good five years, if not a decade in his education. And then uh, my mother-in-law passed away during that time. And we weren't even allowed to be in the room with her. Oh, and, you know, and, and they wouldn't accept anything because we were like, look, we'll sign waivers. We'll do whatever. Right, um, right. Because they, they always pointed to, well, we could be sued, this or that. And uh, I honestly feel that time frame was was used by some of the, I, I'm just going to say it. I, I think it was used by hospitals as a way to manage and they didn't have to deal with visitors. They didn't have to deal with, out, with outside stuff. And they used that as a way to manage their hospitals. But how detrimental to, to us was that when, you know, you have family members dying. And then to your point, the psychological effect of that, people watching their moms and dads or grandpas and grandmas dying and then having to go back home and just be locked in a house to deal with that grief by themselves. Sometimes it, it all led to a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. So I'm awful. sure it caused a lot of people to get drugged. Well, and I have to commiserate with you for a second because I, I have a lot of gifts and talents, but being the homeschooler for my seven year old <laughs> granddaughter. Oh no, yeah. nobody wants that again. <laughs> No, no, especially was... the granddaughter she was yeah. probably like what has happened to my life you know matthew i, I want my grandma back <laughs> i see yeah because she got pretty hard you got pretty hard I did. It was you difficult. will learn <laughs> so uh matthew i i i know a few law enforcement guys in my area here and they're extremely frustrated because they uh arrest a dealer and they see him on the street the same day or the next day and yeah. it's like how how do you, if you can't clean that up, because these small time dealers, 
are big numbers when you look at it. Right. You know, and how, how do you, how, why do you even want to do your job when you can't, when you see these people come right back out on the streets again, because the judges are letting them go. It's well, and I, I think for us in law enforcement, we understand that we, we'll, we never control the justice system. And you, uh, if, if you're going to do this job for a long time, and if you're going to keep your sanity, you kind of compartmentalize everything um, as it relates to doing the job. And you understand that you are a law enforcer. I enforce laws. I don't make laws and I don't uh, do anything past my really my arrest in the justice system. The lawyers are responsible for defending and prosecuting and the judges are responsible for making their decisions. So all I can do every day is go out and do my piece and enforce the law. Um, and so that's that's what you focus on is is doing the job that you know is yours. And when you arrest that guy for the fourth or fifth time, you just treat it like the first arrest and, and you lock him up. And and I think we all understand. Um, and I was having this discussion this morning. It's so odd. The guy, a guy was asking me like, oh, my God, you know, what are we going to do? And I'm like, dude, we've been through this before. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, look at the 60s, man. The 60s, our country was very unstable. Everybody hated the police. They hated the military. A lot of, you know, polarization. And then we came out of it and we we became a stronger country. And so you always have to look, at least from my angle, you have to look for the hope in all of this and understand, hey, we're in a tough time right now, but that's what forges us and makes us stronger. So we're in it right now. It sucks, but I always think we're going to pull out of it. And and in my mind, my faith always holds true. And I know that good wins in the end. So everything else be damned. I agree. I think people are going to have to, they have to wake up. We can't, we got to do something, you know, Absolutely. but I, it's that adage like, okay, so if I, if I pay you $50 to dig a hole and then you dig the hole and then I bury the hole and say, dig it again for $50, you know, there gets to a point where you feel like your job doesn't have purpose, you know? And, and, and I worry about that for law enforcement because I love them. And I, and I don't, how, how do you get past that? You know? Uh, I I, I, I like what you said, actually, and I I didn't mean to interrupt you, but just do your piece of it the best you can. You take pride in that. And because I was looking at the name of your book, Intercept. All right. So you've intercepted drugs, people, crime committers, whatever you want to say. Then what? Well, maybe we don't care about then what? Because you intercepted. You've done your part. Yeah. Yeah. Is that and if you 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 look at teams, uh, you know, if you look at sports teams, look at the Patriots. Patriots are one of the the best football teams around for for their time period, right? And uh, that is one of you know, Coach Bill Belichick. One of his big things is do your job, do your job. So I know what my job is. I just do that piece, and I know it's part of a bigger team. I'm not worried about what other people's jobs are or what they're doing. And I can tell you the same from being on a SWAT team. When, when we were doing SWAT stuff, I was worried about my, if my job was to guard a door, that was my door and I was guarding it and nobody was taking that door from me. And, and you know, somebody would ask you, what about that door? That's not my door. I'm not worried my about door. that. <laughs> not my circus, not yeah. my monkeys. <laughs> Good way to look at it. That's great. So, I mean, I feel like we've, um, we've sort of said this a little bit, but I, I really want to put a fine point on it and say, you know, with the, the cartels, the crime that they thrive on, are they solvable problems or at some point, do we have to live with some of it? Like, 
I never like to look at anything as an all or nothing proposition, but this is, is any part of it really solvable and to what degree? Yeah, we, we can solve some of the problems. We don't, it's not one of those things that we just have to live with and, and accept that the cartels are always going to be there and they're always going to be pushing drugs and bodies and all that stuff. Um, some of that is very solvable and we can minimize their effect. Uh, we just have to, it, it's, it's not going to look pretty and it's going to be hard, but it's doable. And we have to get to a place and I'll, I'll tell you how I view it. And I view it differently after having this discussion with my buddy. Uh, I have a buddy who uh, is an American citizen, but of Israeli descent. He went back to the homeland and uh, joined the IDF and became a soldier over there and, and uh, served in the IDF in Israel and then came back to the U.S. to finish out his life. And uh, we were talking about this kind of stuff. And uh, he said... One of the big problems uh, with U.S. in general is that we don't actively hunt our enemies, that we are reactive to them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and is when he was in Israel, he says, we actively hunt our enemies. We want them to know that we are always looking for them. We're always hunting them and there's no safe place for them. And he said, that's what the U.S. needs to do. And, and to, to the point here. That's what we need to do with these guys. We need to constantly have them on the run and not fear of going to jail. We need to just obliterate them from the earth because they are the evil of evil. And so they need to know that every time they poke their head out of a hole, there's possibly going to be a shot taken at them. And uh, and then we have the military strength and power to deal with them where they live. And, you know, less and law enforcement, we would love nothing more than to uh, get some of those guys that the good old U.S. has, those break in case of emergency kind of guys. We would love to unleash some of those dudes and let them go do their work down in Mexico. They could easily uh, just kind of take out these organizations from the top down and uh, put them on the run. And that would definitely help the problem. You're never going to completely get rid of it, but it would minimize what we're seeing now. And as a politician, the one that's keeping that from happening? Um, yes, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's more than the politicians though. It's, it's politicians, but it's, uh, people in other power positions, right? It's people in, uh, let's say the banking industry that relies heavily on the money that is being ran through their banks. It's people in different industries. That, so that this is tied into there's tentacles everywhere. So everybody who makes money off of this, because if you follow the money, you'll always get to the root of it. Yes, and we are so proud in the United States of being able to go launch into other nations and help them with their problems and protect their borders from the bad guys on the other side of their border. All the while, sitting here, you know, clutching our pearls like we're completely incapable of doing it for ourselves. Right. And as a citizen, it is absolutely maddening to me. Um I, I guess we just have to, but like you said, it's not just the next election. It's not just the right politicians in the right place or the public servants. It's there is a whole power and financial structure that has been benefiting from this yeah. for far too long. Yeah. And that is, like you said, it's not going to be pretty. I really don't know all the 
the answers, but um, stemming the flow of that money in whatever ways we can would go a long way. Yeah. And, sure, and these are jaywalkers we're talking no, about. No. Well, and you can you can look at uh, and we're getting a little deep into politics, but it doesn't really it, it all relates. Um, and if people would just pay attention to history of empires, uh, we are following one of the strongest empires. We're following the path of one of the strongest empires in the world, which was the Roman Empire. And if you look at it, we almost parallel what they yeah. did to themselves. And yeah. that's why I say it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be easy. Uh, but I always feel like we're going to come out on the other end and, and you know, good is always going to prevail. Well, in policing, we have this theory. It's called the broken windows theory. And uh, what it boils down to basically is if you have a neighborhood and you have buildings in that neighborhood and one of the buildings gets a broken window, you repair that window right away and you keep the neighborhood looking nice. Because if you let another window break and another window break, pretty soon people just don't care about that neighborhood and it starts degrading more. Uh, people don't care. They lose interest and it just continues to degrade. And so that's what we have to do. And in, in, to your point is we don't just take one guy out and hope for the best with the next. We actively continue hunting them. Right. It's what we do in the U S with gangs. You have to stay on them and you have to suppress them and you have to make them understand that you are not welcome here. And every chance we get, we're going to lock you up. It's the same thing down there. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned the broken windows. We have that same thought about graffiti. You know, mm -hmm. I, the, my building got graffiti a couple of days ago, the same day it's done. I cleaned it up. Yeah. Yep. Same day. Yep. Because if you let it go a couple of days and somebody else's competition is going to put their sign up there and, and whatever. So I agree with that. And the problem about the uh, drug cartel that's in the United States you know, we're sent into prison, but they're getting released so quick. And I, I know that's a difference Think about people that are doing sex trafficking and drugs. We need a serious answer to that. Right. We're yeah. not going to, you can't slide them on the hand and say, come back next week. Right. We, we it, it, I'm sorry. It's just so when you were talking about the broken window and I was thinking, so if, if we, the good guys are investing in our communities and we're the ones that help with that, replace that broken window that sets a tone and again my mind went back to al capone right one of the biggest mobsters there was he was the benefactor of his neighborhoods right, right. everyone looked to him looked up to him protected him didn't tell on him because he was to them santa claus and a good guy right and i'm looking on on your um uh, your your sheet that you sent me online and one of your questions on here is such a good one and it is why do the mexican people and governments tolerate the cartels is it like the al capone thing yeah it absolutely is because uh you know the 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 socioeconomic stuff all plays into it and so when you look at like al capone when he came up and how that that prohibition area and then leading into the depression area and where the u.s was um you have somebody and this happens in mexico i and I've, I've talked to when i was working undercover we would talk to some of those guys that were in those organizations that would say like oh well the boss will throw one or two parties a year where the whole town is invited they get you know free alcohol free food all this stuff and um then he'll the cartels will go in and, and bring presents at christmas so the same effect there, 
the the neighborhoods protect them because well they're taking care of me and the government's not right so the mexican government's not coming in here and feeding me and giving me presents and stuff but they are so it, they'll run some level of uh, loyalty to that boss uh, but then on the flip side of that if you don't do the stuff they want you to do they will absolutely kill you and your entire family so they it, they lead with a heavy hand and it, it's like a, a stick and a carrot at the same time right like an abusive relationship yeah you know, wow. bring you flowers after they've given you a black that's, eye that's right yeah <laughs> yeah um so you know we you said a phrase earlier that um i hadn't heard before that the guys that are the break glass when in an emergency guys oh yeah however you <laughs> phrase that and your handle you like your email address and your your website you use uh, a phrase that i had never heard before uh <laughs> Your deputy one time and your your website is one time nation. Yeah. What is that? What what is that phrase? So uh I, I'm a music guy. Like I uh, I really like music. You, you know, you have those days where you want some good metal on and you're gonna lift some weights. There's days where you just want some country because you want to relax and listen to a good swoon. You know, so I'm all over the place with my music. Um and so uh grow and, and I'm going to relate it back to music. So I grew up in kind of a gang infested area. And as I was growing up, the gangs back then referred to cops as one time. That was one of the nicknames they called cops one time. So you would hear it when a cop would turn onto the block, people would start yelling one time, one time that meant the cops were coming. So everybody kind of knew the cops were in the neighborhood. Um, and then as you listen to uh, rap is where I was going with the music. If you listen to some of the eighties and nineties era rap, yeah, that that phrase was used a lot in there because it was coming from the streets. And they'll talk about when they talk about police, you'll hear them use the term one time. Um, so I took that phrase and uh, I'm a deputy sheriff. Right. And and uh, so as I'm very proud of the heritage of being a deputy. And so uh, I took deputy and I took the one time nickname and I put them together and that became my social media handle. And then uh, one time nation, I, I made that my website because I wanted that to be the place where cops uh, want to be cops, used to be cops, and people who support cops, they can all come there. That It's all one nation. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Do you have any, any idea like why one time? Like what was that referring to? There, There's all kinds of theories, but they're all theories. Um, and no, so there's no solid answer. It's just, and it's one of those things. It's weird because um, you'll get something you'll get a nickname that'll take off in a neighborhood and then uh, it may get mentioned in a song because somebody that is a rapper or whatever is tied to that neighborhood. And there's really no reason that they made up that name, but it becomes a thing. And uh, so, you know, looking at the history of the word one time, because I was interested in it before I started using it, um, there's no real lockdown on where it originated but it, it definitely orig originated with the gangs and the hip-hop culture. Interesting. Well, when yeah. I was young, you know, hanging around, I was in a bad area too. I was in South Phoenix and it's pretty rough. Yep, that's you know, where, where I was where at. Cop, uh, you were South Phoenix? Mm-hmm. What, what part? I was at First Avenue and South Mountain Avenue. Okay, I was Dobbins and 10th, 7th Avenue. Oh, yeah, Dobbins. Yeah, and right there. Yeah, yeah, you were right right by us. We were on the but, avenue side. But I'm a little older than you. Yeah, so uh, Southside. Um, I'm a little older than you, but when, when a police officer came by, we yelled cops. 
we didn't have the lingo yet but yeah yeah, yeah so you were you were right up the road you were at uh you lived right by the circle k there at seven yeah, yep, yep 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 and there used to be a signal gas station there i don't know if you're you were probably weren't around then no but, not then but silver pony was right down the road from yeah oh yeah yep 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 yes that's funny that's wow small world yeah. tiny yeah. world um so i i know we need to start wrapping up but um, we were talking off air before we, uh, you know, turn the camera on so everybody else could hear our conversation yep. about how important it is in your uh, organization in the Pinal County uh, Sheriff's Department to mentor people mm -hmm. uh, so that when people like Sheriff Lamb, who bad guys are like excited that they're getting arrested by him, right? moves on in their career that there's not a vacuum left right. but you've been very purposeful um and i also know that sheriff lamb is is deeply rooted in the constitution and not every sheriff is right um how how can you inspire other agencies out there with the example that you've experienced and that you help perpetuate in your department Oh man, it's it's hard sometimes because uh, in law enforcement we have we have sheriff's offices and then we have uh, city police, right? Those are the two main policing forces, um, and then you have the the state cops, and those can be different depending on East Coast, West Coast. Uh, but sheriff's offices have an elected official, which uh, makes them unique because our sheriff is elected by the people, so ultimately he answers to the people, and if they like the job he's doing. Um, he's he's essentially a representation of his constituents. And so he's deeply rooted in the Constitution, believes in it heavily, uh, believe is he that that is the main fabric of our country that we are entitled, not entitled, but uh, uh, that we're here to protect. Yeah. And uh, when you look at police, uh, city police, those are appointed positions. And so um, the chief of police is appointed by his city council or mayor. Um, and so it's a little bit of a different dynamic. And, and as you know, when you get into some of these cities, some of the bigger cities essentially have uh, different politics, right, or different beliefs. And so it becomes tough to police because you're having to follow the politics of a board instead of the people who elected you. Um, and so I, a, a little bit off subject from your original question, but how we get back to it is we really just focus on what our job is. Again, it all, all kind of comes back to what is our job. Our job is law enforcers. And part of that is protection of the constitution and protection of people's rights, because part of enforcing law is making sure that people's constitutional rights are not trampled on, whether that be by a government entity or by a individual. Um, and so I think if, if we just focus on as leaders, if we focus on what does our oath actually tell us to do, and we live to that oath, and then we, and we instill in our leaders throughout the agency that that is our main function, and they have an understanding of that. And sometimes that's not going to look pretty, right? And sometimes it's not going to be popular, and we're going to get called names and all that stuff but it's the right thing to do and, and rights always going to prevail. I think if we have more leaders that focus on that and are willing to take the hits that go along with it, 
because you're going to get some hate over it. Um, that's going to instill in all of your people that that's the way to go. And we're going to have, you know, that leadership legacy that we talked about. Yeah. You know, I, I think that it's even, you know, uh, uh, if I was a criminal, then I'd want my sheriff to be a constitutionalist because it would protect me. <laughs> right. I mean, in, in a way it's, it's yeah. for both sides. It, yeah, it's, oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And, because I mean, so, even if you, if you break the law, you still have constitutional right. rights. Yeah. Right. So I, I think it's good. And, you know, I, I agree with you. The politics are influencing law enforcement too much in, in certain, but you know, oh, well, that's, that's enough of that. So, <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I, um, sometimes I wish I lived in your County because you guys are great. You know, you just really are. There's some kind of magic that you guys have that's just awesome, and you're well respected, even by criminals. That's the <laughs> yeah. that is what's cool is that you know you have criminals. Yeah, yeah, that sheriff's awesome. You know. Yeah. Well, I agree with all that, Dan, and um, you know that's kind of one of the interesting pieces of uh, one of my mentors said to me is if you don't like that law enforcement officers if you don't like what they're doing their whole title is law enforcement well mm -hmm. then you better pay more attention to what laws get passed yep like get way in front of that cart yep. you know That's and exactly because right. exactly, how do i fault you if i stood there and let laws pass that i didn't like now right. you're you're in a quandary do i enforce this law that goes against the constitution or do I do with the constitution that that's the, that's a tough place. That'd be a yeah. tough job for you is deciding, you know, you, you want to follow the constitution, but there's a stupid law that comes out that says no more than 10 rounds in a magazine and whatever. Mm -hmm. How do you stand there and enforce that? You know, especially if your boss is not a constitutionalist, then he's going to tell you to enforce that law. And you as a constitutionalist don't want to, because you know, it's, it's not right. Right. So, Right. Yeah. And, and it does be, it becomes tough in our profession because I, I can tell you like our brothers and sisters in California are pulling their hair out with what yeah. they have to deal with over there as, as law enforcement officers. And a lot of it is because politics have creeped into uh, lawmaking. Um, and I tell people, people are like, well, how do we fix this? And I said, well, it's going to take a while, but how we fix it is we start taking stuff back. It starts at schools, right? Because the, the adults that are in charge now were kids once, right? So they got their ideology from somewhere. And so it starts in our schools with moms and dads running for boards and taking these schools back and insisting on the correct curriculum and how to respect adults and authority. And like I said, it's going to take a while, but that's where we have to start. And we have to start slowly turning our country back towards respect for authority, respect for the constitution, and get that back in our fabric so that it's not so polarized. Uh, we don't have all this lawlessness and we just, we fix ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because you mentioned California and I have a truck that had guns all over, it, you know, a wrap that had AZ firearms and whatever. And I was driving through California and I got pulled over for speeding once and the, the highway patrol come up and he goes, I'm not even going to ask you if you have a gun in your car. Let me see your driver's license. <laughs> you know? And he gave me a ticket for speeding, but he does. I'm not going to ask you if you have a gun in your car because that's a guy that respects our constitution. Yeah. Right. You know, and yeah, there's the a right lot guy, of people. That, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of people that do. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I, and I do think we're going to win. I think that the, the, 
the first of all, women are getting more involved yep. and women talk. Okay. <laughs> they talk, right? Uh, and, I'm not and even touching very, that one. I know. <laughs> and they're very in, in, Safe. influential. They they talk and and I think that's making people wake up. And yeah. I, I do think that we're gonna start well and I, I agree with you on the women part. I think what I've seen over the last couple of years is the mama bears are coming out of the woodwork yes, they and are. Uh, they are they are which is great they're standing up and they're saying not my kid you are not doing this to my kid and they're standing up and they're standing against all this this culture that is telling them otherwise right. um and that's what we need man and when you make the women mad boy you done messed up oh i know that <laughs> Absol I, you don't you Absolutely. don't do that and, and yeah right. yes yes we do talk we yeah. that is a gift we've been here we 38 have. years yeah. i know how that one works <laughs> right you know, I don't push any buttons anymore. <laughs> yep. I I gonna step away slowly. Yeah. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This has been so awesome. I so appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your service. Thank you so much yeah. for your service. Yeah. Um, thank you for writing this uh, yeah. body of work. Um, and I, I feel like we have so much more that we could unpack. I, I would love to ask you back on again. Absolutely. I'd be happy to join you. This was fun. Thank Fantastic you. Fantastic for us as well. Uh, tell folks real quickly how they can get their very own copy, even even if it's not uh, fancily autographed like my hand, <laughs> uh, of this book and follow all of your work. Yeah, they can. Uh, well, uh, the, the social media stuff is Instagram's the easiest. Uh, my handle there is deputy underscore one time. Um, they can follow me on that for social media. To uh, They can go to my website, onetimenation.com. Um, they can find the book there or Amazon, Kindle, Apple Books. It's on all the platforms. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we will definitely have you back on and chat some more about everything going on in that crazy world of interceptors. So wait a minute. So if I'm driving through Pinell County and I have a copy of this book and I just go like 30 miles over the speed limit, uh, you might pull me over and autograph the book. <laughs> Uh, well, no, no, no. I'd, I'd be, I'd be getting your <laughs> autograph in that case. <laughs> okay. That's fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you. God bless. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. 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 That was great. He was fun. Uh, very, very nice guy. Absolutely. And, uh... So it was really fun because we were at SHOT Show, actually, which is the big industry show in Las Vegas every year for, you know, everything firearm related and, you know, the manufacturers and whatnot. And uh, we walked into one of our favorite restaurants and bumped into Sheriff Lamb and Sheriff Lamb's son, Cade, and then met Matthew. And he was telling me, yeah, I wrote this book, whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, for sure, we need to bring you on and talk about this. And uh, then I got my autograph without speeding. So it worked awesome. out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't advise. That was just a joke. I know it was you a know. joke. And everybody else out there knows it was a joke. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was super fun. I really loved it. And again, there are so many questions that I wish we had the time to fully unpack. So, so we will have him back on, yeah. but um, this cartel issue, it's like, it's a tough one because, you know, they're human beings, right? We're all human beings. And so what is it that's driving this one to, to, enact with their other fellow human beings with sort of like politicians some politicians and... greed yes so. it's just i want everything i want it all yes, and I, so. i'll do whatever i i don't care if it hurts anybody i want it and i want it now 
Yes. So, and what uh, there's a lot there to unpack, especially, you know, from a psychological perspective, again, my degrees are in psychology. So I always try to figure out, well, so what's the core of that? Well, I don't know, but you, you know? mentioned Capone, Capone earlier. I did. And, you know, and he protected his neighborhood, right? He did. You know, he protected it from himself. That's right. <laughs> He, uh, it's like sort of like government. Yeah, right. He, in a he said, form. hey, we won't bust your windows out. You know, you just be our friends and whatever. And so right. it, they're protecting against himself. Right. So what so do you need to do? The big, yeah. Which is totally voluntary, kind of like your taxes. Totally oh, voluntary. Our, yeah, property taxes. You know, but if you don't pay the VIG, then yeah, right. bad so, things are going to happen to you. But it's totally up to you. Right. Let, let's you say thank this. you to Matt for being Absolutely. Thank you. Matthew Thomas, author of A True Account by Matthew Thomas, Interceptors, The Untold Fight Against the Mexican Cartels. Fascinating stuff. Yes, and let's talk. thank our listeners, too. All across the world, wherever. Bill, John, Fred, Frank, Bill. Jerry. And I see Susie, yeah. and I see Jimmy. Yes, wherever there is internet on this globe, we have listeners we have viewers and when you take these conversations into your sphere of influence and and you unpack it around the dinner table or in your carpool or you know the little league friends that you have the parents that are sitting on the sideline watching the kids play that is when we change things wow that you must be rich you have a carpool idea <laughs> <laughs> you have a, a pool, pool in, in my car, car? yeah no, no, I, oh no, that's, oh that's, that's not okay. not what i meant okay. that's a totally different thing um but that is where the needle gets moved right yeah. we can have these conversations dan and i love uh meeting with our guests and we get fulfilled we get educated um but if it stopped there you know still be fun for us but you take that forward yeah. and and really um it it has longer legs and wider arms in your hands. So thank you so much. If you want to rewatch this episode, or if you want to watch any of the episodes we've ever put out, there's the OpsLens smartphone app. There's gunstreamer.com. There's YouTube, any place that you get your video content, uh, you will find our show. And when you go there, please click the notifications and the subscriptions. Not only will you get notifications of everything we put up but it notifies the platform that this is important and valuable to you and hopefully that's a hedge against that cancel culture that's so rampant out there um, we'll keep our show uh, available everywhere uh, if you want to listen to the audio only version because maybe you're out for a bike ride or a car ride with the pool in the car the carpool uh, then go to our website gunfreedomradio.com click the on demand tab and binge listen to your content darling darling oh i was going to do it in unison oh. darling i can't do it like you do it <laughs> um and if you want to see photos and bios and links to uh, all the guests that we've ever had on click the guest tab and there's a huge and growing uh body of information hundreds there. and hundreds Absolutely. And when you spend time there. We don't love it. We Yes, we do love it. We don't hate that. Yes, we, we love it. Definitely love that. Yeah. All right. Until next time, we are going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for our leaders. How about the ones we don't like? Pray for them. Okay. <laughs>
Maybe we especially the ones we right. don't like. All right. Be good to each other. Have a great week. Bye, Interceptor. And Bye -bye. God bless. Bye-bye.